I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> this text is not written to us. It uh, does not apply to us, so that when we read it, we're, uh, we have to look back at uh, the situation that Jesus was addressing and understand the people that he was talking to. He was talking, basically, to his very close and very personal friends, those that he was going to charge with a job, and he's telling them what's going to happen, and then he's, he's encouraging them and saying, stick with your job. Don't quit. He said, he said, as a matter of fact, if you will endure, my text says, if you will endure to the end, you'll be saved. And so he tells them they, they have a job ahead of them. And he's telling them that they're going to be standing before councils and he's going, they're going to be giving their testimony to others and they'll be brought before governors and kings and they'll be delivered up. And he said, and don't worry what you're going to say because the Spirit will will guide you and he will say what I want you to say. He'll tell you what to say. So don't worry about that, but just just do it. And that's that's basically the instruction. He said, and he that endures to the end will be saved. Then he, he continues in this context and he says, you'll not have gone over the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So he's basically giving them a time period and saying, I want you to go out and tell them, and he's already told them earlier, that they were supposed to be preaching that the kingdom of God was coming. And he said, you won't get that done before I come. That's what he's saying here. He's addressing these disciples, and he's giving them a responsibility. He's tying the responsibility to the spreading of the news to the kingdom of Israel first. And then to others. Now, when he sent these men out, he said, he said, go to all the cities of Israel, but don't go to the house of the Samaritans. Don't go in their house. Or to the Gentiles, don't talk to them, but talk to the city, talk to the people of the children of Israel. They were admonished to do this task without fail. Under the onus of the fact that if they didn't do it, they would not be saved. So they, they had that great burden upon them. Now, the, what he's saying is, he that endures to the end will be saved. So they had to see that something was coming to an end. Something was coming to a close. And when that came to a close, their job would be done. Now, 
they were coming to the close of an era. A close of a time when God was not going to be using Israel anymore as an example. He was not going to be confining his responsibilities to them and what they were doing. But he was going to be expanding the kingdom to all nations. So he was closing down an era. Now Daniel talks about this in Daniel chapter 11 at verse 35. And he uses the same term that we're using here. And he's using that term, the end. Daniel 11 verse 35. Some of them of understanding shall fall. This is Daniel talking. The revelation being given to him by an angel. Some of them shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end. For it is yet a time to be appointed. Okay. He's talking about a lot of different things going on among the Grecians and the Macedonians and the Persians. And finally the Romans. But he just kind of ends it here with talking about that group. And then he starts out in chapter 12 of Daniel, verse 1 through 4. And he says, at that time, he's talking about the time of the end. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since it was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Now when we think about times of trouble, we usually think in terms of our own context. In other words, when we think that we're having trouble, it's when we're having financial trouble, or we're having health trouble, or we're having war trouble, or we're having weather trouble. But God is talking about trouble that's taking place within a man's soul. That's what he's talking about. He's he's way beyond our puny little troubles. He's way up here talking about issues between right and wrong, between life and death, between permanency and impermanency. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that kind of trouble. He's not talking about our little troubles. So he said, there'll be a time of trouble and your people will be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to to shame and everlasting contempt. We know when that happened, remember? When Jesus went into the grave, some popped out of the grave, didn't they? Matthew talked about that in his book in Matthew chapter 27. Okay, then it goes on. He says, They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But you, O Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book. He said, close the book and seal it. Even to the time of the end. Now he told these men, you stick with it until the time of the end. And if you do, if you stay with your job that I gave you and get it done, you'll be saved. And this text talks about the same thing. Seal the book even to the time of the end. Many will run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Well, of course, we know he's talking about the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyway, Daniel chapter 12 verse 9 goes ahead and says, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. So we're not going to open this book until the time of the end. Now, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 says this, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Here's a sealed book. And a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. 
And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Guess who's going to open that book at the time of the end? Jesus Christ. You know what that book is? It's a gospel. It's a gospel of Jesus Christ. And these men were told, get it all out there. Before this happens, before everything shuts down, before we change this era into another era, get this shut down and get all of it written down so we can have it all in one place. Okay. He's talking about the end of the era when he talks about the end of the world. The end of that era would take place when the era of grace was fully established. So you don't get rid of an old an old law. You don't get rid of an old era until you have the new one there to fully replace it. Right? Okay. Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14. We, I, I'm not going to go into all everything involved in this, but let's just talk about this business of the end of the era and the completion, the complete revelation of the new one. All right. Matthew 24, 3 through 14. He that sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto him privately. They're, they're talking to Jesus, saying, Tell us when these, shall, these things shall be. What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? This is just before Jesus died on the cross. So they're asking, When will the end of the era be? They're not talking about the end of the planet. They're not talking about the sweeping away of the stars. They're talking about the end of that era. When will that time stop? When God quits using Israel only and opens the kingdom to everyone. What, when will the end of the world come? They, they weren't really that much aware of it as we are now, but at least that was the basis of this question. And what will be the sign of your coming, the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Many will come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and it will deceive many. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. These things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. You remember now, these are the men that he said, you stick with it. You, you go out and preach and you do what I'm telling you to do until the end and you'll be saved. And that's what he's talking about here. And he's saying, you'll hear wars, rumors of wars. Be not troubled. All these things must come to pass. The end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes, diverse places, all sorts of trouble. And in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, in all likelihood, he's talking about a lot of disturbing things happening in their lives. But anyway, all these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and will kill you. Now, he warned them that before, didn't he? He said, you'll be brought before rulers and governors for my sake, and many of you will be killed. So he's telling that again. And you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. There's that statement again. He's talking about the, to this select few men. He's saying, stick with it. Get it all out. All they had to do was preach the 
gospel to the nations so that he could put in place the kingdom of grace, right? That's exactly what he's talking about. And he said, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Then you'll, then you'll, in other words, you're saying, your job's done. Then shall the end come. Your job's done with that when that's done. Have they not heard, Paul said in Romans chapter 10, in that verse, I think it's verse 18, Yea, their word has gone out to the end of the world. The gospel has been preached. The gospel has preached. Well, they did it. We know they did it. Anyway, let's go on. The gospel writers confirm the concept we're talking about right now. That the end was coming, the end of that era, and that these men had to stick with their job until they got it done. Right? 1 Corinthians 10 at verse 11. Paul said, all these things happened. He's talking about the history of Israel now. All of these things happened to them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon the whom the ends of the world are come. He's talking about that era, that world. That's, that's what the word world, world means there. It's not talking about the planet and the sun and the stars and so forth. It's talking about that, that world that they were familiar with. Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. He was the end. 2 Corinthians 3.13, not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. He's talking about the Old Testament law. So he's changing an era from one ruled by the law to one nation, Israel, and the other nations were not involved in that until now he's going to expand the kingdom to the whole world. And guess who had the responsibility of getting that in place? These men that he just gave the responsibility to. He said, go get it done. Now, we know that these men endured. They stuck with it. We also know that some of them died doing it, don't we? James, in chapter 12 of Acts, we're told that uh, Herod decided he'd just make a show of James and cut his head off. He thought it'd make everybody happy, so he grabbed Peter put him in prison thinking to do the same thing to him. But God released Peter from prison. Stephen lost his life. He wasn't an apostle. But he was trying to do what the apostles were trying to do. He was trying to preach the gospel. And so he preached in Acts chapter 7. He preached one of the greatest sermons you could ever read. And when he got through, you know what happened? They got mad at him. They killed him. They put him to death. But he did, he did everything he could. He went to the end of his life to try to get to the end of what God said they need to do. The importance of what these men were asked to do cannot be overstated. They were literally instrumental in saving the world. If these men had not preached the gospel fully, completely, we would still be sitting in abject darkness. They went out and got their job done. They did it. Now, their work would have been unfinished and the saving task would have been left to decay if they had not done it. Like a national rambler in the, in the front yard somewhere with weeds growing over it. An old Montgomery Ward washing machine stuck off the side and rotting or rusting somewhere. 
That's what the gospel would have been doing if, if these men had not gone and done what they did. It would have been rusting in somebody's front yard. It would not have been done. And we'd have been languishing in our sins. But they did it. These men did it. Now, I'm going to go through with some information for you. Because it's my conviction that God chose one man above all to try to show you what your job should be as a Christian. I'm glad I've got a house full of folks that have been Christians for a long time. Because this message is for us. All of us. Now, why do you suppose that God chose Saul of Tarsus as a great example of the kind of life we need to be living? Why do you suppose he did that? Because he knew that this man called Saul, later called Paul, would get it done. He would not quit. He would not languish by the roadside. He would not let rust grow on him anywhere. He would continue and continue and continue, and he would not sit down anywhere and rest and stop. He would just keep on keeping on and doing what God told him. But the main thing is he's showing us what we should be doing. You, the book of Acts has 28 chapters in it. From, the, from chapter 12 forward, all it talks about is what Paul is doing. That's all. Nobody else, just Paul. Isn't that, isn't that interesting to you? Now let's go through it. I'll show you something. Paul tells about his experiences. Okay. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 28, I've read this several times, and I said, well, Paul, why go on about that? You know, you had a tough time, okay. But let's read it. Second Corinthians eleven, twenty four to twenty eight. He said of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes except for one, which meant five times they whipped him and they they, they said the law only allowed thirty nine, so they whipped him forty lashes minus one, just thirty nine. He said that happened to him five times. Why, why bring that on yourself, Paul? Why keep opening your mouth and preaching Jesus? It's going to get you in trouble. It's going to get you whipped, boy. More and more and more and more often it's going to get you whipped. It did. It got him whipped five times. He said, once I was stoned. I remember that time in Lydia. Thrice I suffered a shipwreck. And night and day I've been in the deep. Probably unconscious. Un- unavailable to think. In journeys often, in, he said, I've been in perils of waters. This man had to walk everywhere he went, trudging around in, in uh, probably less than, than designer boots. Anyway, he said, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness and watching often and hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, by beside those things that are that that which comes on me always daily. And here's the kicker the care 
of all the churches. You know what? He was concerned about others. Ah, there we are. There it is. We got it. I've got it. I know why God gave Paul as an example because Paul cared about others more than he cared about himself. He would not stop and he had plenty of opportunity to stop. The logical question is, why didn't he just quit? Why did he put up with all this? The main reason was that Jesus gave him a job. He gave him responsibility. He said, I want you to do this. Now, while you're thinking about this, think about, did Jesus give you a job? Okay, let's go on. When Ananias, when Paul went down to Damascus, and he was going to bring, he was going to went down because he went to a lower level elevation. He actually went north. But when he went to Damascus, he came armed with letters from the high priest to bring people into prison, put them in stocks, and bring them back to Jerusalem and, and punish them. And on the road, Jesus confronted him. And he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul, all, all of a sudden, his name was Saul at that time. He said, who are you, Lord? And all of a sudden, he realized who he, who he was. And so he, he, be, he became obedient to the voice. He told him to go into a city called Straight. And, and uh, then he went to Ananias. God went to Ananias, or Jesus did, and told Ananias, you go find this man named Saul. He's in the street called Straight. And, and he told him what house he was in and so forth. He said, he said, go, go, go to him. And Ananias said, I, I've heard about this guy. I don't want to go because he's, he's, a, he's a danger. But here's what God said. Here's what Jesus said. Go your way. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I'll show him what he has to suffer for my name's sake. Paul believed that Jesus wanted him to finish the job that he sent him to do. So why did Paul go out and preach? Number one, because Jesus told him to. Very simple. Jesus said, go do it. All right. 1 Corinthians 9.16, here's Paul's own words. He said, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. He said, it's not really making me a big, big shot. He said, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He just couldn't keep from it. Why? Because Jesus told him to. Go do it. And so he went and did it. He was convinced that he was called to live for Jesus a life of selflessness. Get it? He was told he must suffer for Jesus' namesake. Now, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15 Paul said, said it this way. He said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. He's talking to the church at Corinth. I'll be spent for you. Though The more abundantly I love you, the less you love me. Wait a minute. He said, the more I'm doing for you, the less you're going to do for me. The more I love you, the less you love me. Why do it, Paul? Well, first of all, because Jesus told me to. Next, he said, because I'm living for you, not for me. Now, that's a key. He knew that he was being watched also. He knew that others were seeing the type of life he was living. 
And so he's very careful that he didn't do anything to discourage or undermine the confidence and the faith of other fellow Christians and of those that were looking to him for an example. He did not want to discourage anyone. I'm not going to do anything that will discourage you. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15 through 16, he said, Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you don't have many fathers. Now, he's placing himself in a situation where he had actually brought them into the faith. And so he said, you need to look at me like you would your own daddy, because I'm concerned about you. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me. So now then, he's saying to us, I know that they were watching me. They're watching me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Philippians chapter 3.17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so that you have us for an example. Now, Paul knew that others were looking up to him and would be discouraged if he didn't behave in a certain way. Right? Very easy to discourage someone, by the way. It's easier to discourage someone than it is to encourage someone. You just don't have to do anything to discourage someone. You've got to do a lot to encourage them. Okay, now let's go on. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 21 through 25. Don't you think he ever got to the point where he said, you know, this is getting to be too much of a burden to me. I've been whipped, I've been beaten, I've walked everywhere I've gone, and the more I love these guys, the less they love me. And I'm concerned about them, but they don't give a whit about me. Well, Paul, why didn't you just quit it? Why didn't you just sit down and say, well, let somebody else do it, for goodness sakes alive. What am I involved in this for? But he didn't, did he? Here's what he said. Philippians 1.21 For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was his first point. He, he said he knew that Jesus gave him a job and he was going to do it. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I don't know. Now he's talking about living or dying. Maybe I'll just sit down on the side of the road. Like, you remember who, who did that one time? Sat under, under a tree? Jonah. He said, I'll just quit. Well, Paul didn't do that. He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He said, I, I'd be better for me if I just got out of here. You ever felt that way? The world would be better off without me. Would it? You, did you, if you got your job finished? <laughs> I'm going to ask that again. He said, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul was living a selfless life. I'm living for you, not for me. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance and joy of faith. He chose between encouraging people and discouraging people. He worried about others, not about his own state. He didn't quit. He endured. For the sake of his brothers and sisters in Christ, he just kept going. He kept chugging along. He kept doing. Therefore, he said, I endure all things. 2 Timothy 2.10 Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And guess what? He made it. 
He did it. He got to the end. Now, I know that because in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8, he says this. He said, I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Mm-hmm. He was going. He was going, but friend, he did not quit. He was going. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. Now this is where we come in. I'm not ready yet, Art. Just be a few minutes. We'll be ready in just a minute. I'm listening. This is where we this 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 is where we come in. As of the current hour, right now, 11.35 on the 15th of October, 2023, we're still here. We are still here. My job is not done. Mm -hmm. Is yours? Your job done? The general resurrection of the dead is in the future. The ink is still wet on the pages of your life. It hasn't been blotted. It's still there. On the pages of history, our personal life is still being written. We're not finished with our course. The trumpet hasn't sounded. Time is still on our side. We're still here, and we're still not at our end. We haven't finished our course, and we we haven't heard the trumpet yet. Now, God sent Jesus to give us a pattern of life, and He chose Paul to exemplify it. You know what Paul did? All that he did was preach Jesus, tell other people about Jesus, and encourage other Christians. Two things. And my friend, that's exactly the job He gave us to do. Same thing. Same thing. Tell other people that don't know about Jesus, tell them about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And those who are trying to follow him, encourage them. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the job that the Christian has. Why didn't he quit? Why didn't Paul quit? Because Jesus gave him a job to do and he went about doing it. And he worked hard at those problems. He said he had no choice. He said, woe is unto me if I don't preach the gospel. He couldn't live with himself if he didn't. Okay. He was unselfish. He was happy to serve the needs of his fellow believers. He ignored criticism and complaints. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's easier to just say, well, if that's the way they feel, let them do it themselves. Right? He ignored that. Why? God sent this man to be my example. Don't sit down, Bill. Don't quit. Don't leave it to somebody else. Do your job. Do your job. He knew that he was being watched by other people too. By other Christians. By by fellow Christians. Weak Christians. And he was aware that his very presence among the church was a strength to them. His very presence there was a strength to them. He said, I have a desire to depart and be with the Lord which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He said, I'm staying because of you. 
That's our job as a Christian, basically. Two points. Tell other people about Jesus. Second is, you encourage your fellow Christian to stay with it. Encourage them. That's it. Those two things. That's the job we have. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things whereby we may edify one another. Edify means build up. So if I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to encourage you as a Christian to stick with it, to stay the course. Don't give up. Believe in the Lord. He'll take care of you. And I can do that. I can do it by words, but I can also do it by my actions. What, what, what am I supposed to be doing? How can I encourage you? Romans 15, verse 1 through 3 says, We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. When you begin to think about, well, should I do this or should I do that, not do this, think about not yourself but others. Who was that guy that said, Am I my brother's keeper? Who was that? I know it's somewhere in the Bible. God said, Where is he? Where's your brother? And he said, Am I my brother's keeper? My friend, as a Christian, you are. You are the keeper of your brother and sister. Okay. We have been the strong all to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. Even Christ pleased not, pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached you fell on me. Why should I be criticized for what Jesus did? Why should Jesus be criticized for what his father did? Why should Paul be criticized for what Jesus did? You see? Why should I be criticized for what Jesus did? Okay. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I've got a couple of little illustrations I want to use for you. One is, Paul said that he, he was fighting a good fight. We're in a battle still. You're still alive and you're still in the fight. You are in the fight. You're in the fight. You're in the midst of it. This is no time to quit. You don't quit when you're in the middle of a fight. You don't lay down and give up. You stay in the fight. And as long as you're alive, you're in the fight. All right. He said he had finished his course. The little illustration I want to give you is this. I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, there are automobile races. That's a pretty bland thing I can use for an illustration without getting personalities involved. But, but there, there are automobile races all around the country. And as a matter of fact, they're more heavily attended than any other sporting event in the world, I think, aside from soccer. But the Daytona 500 starts out, and these guys are going to run 500 miles in a race. And they go, and they go, and they go, and they go. And they've got different flags that they put up. Put up a red flag, and it says, danger, danger, watch out. Put up a yellow flag, and it's something about the race is slick or the track is slick and so forth, and they put up all sorts of flags. Well, they, they decided that they, they needed a flag for the last lap so that when you came around, you're making the last lap, you could, you could recognize either I've got to pour it on 
Rock and cruise, I don't know which. So they figured out a flag for that. It was a white flag cut in two, just on a diagonal, just a half of a white flag. And it confused everybody. Some just stopped. Here's a half of a white flag. They didn't know what was going on, so they quit the race. Don't look for a white flag. Don't look for half of a white flag. You are still in the race. You're still in the race. The flag that comes out that tells you you're not in the race anymore is a checkered flag. That's a checkered flag. When that comes up, it means it's all over with. Shut down your engines and coast back to your starting point because it's all over with. You're done. I'm talking to people that have not seen the checkered flag. When you see the checkered flag, it's time to ease up. The only one that's going to give you that flag is Jesus. I'm not going to tell you. Nobody else is going to tell you. What I'm telling you is, you are still in the race. Stay in the race until you see the checkered flag. And Jesus will give you that flag. Don't give up. Let's stand now. Ark, we're ready. And sing our invitation song.